over these <coughs> couple months this fall, I'm talking about two very, very powerful subjects in our day in which we live. I mentioned beginning of September, we we're going to spend September talking about the issue of sexuality in our day. We need not be ashamed about talking about sexuality because God created us as sexual beings. And in our churches and in our homes, we need to be honoring God. We don't need to be ashamed of how he has made us. Our children need to grow up realizing that God has created us as sexual beings and has a design and a plan that is God-honoring and a marvelous thing. And so we have spent the month of September looking at how radically different God's design for sexuality is from the world in which we live. We have pressed, our world has pressed those boundaries so far. And once you break through the boundaries of God's word, by the way, there are no other boundaries except the ones that man decides to set. And so we as a church are here to proclaim that God has designed everything wonderful and good and as we looked at sexuality, God has a design which is an amazing, amazing design <clears throat> that we are called to live within. The same thing is true of the topic of money and resources because God has also designed that we would work, that we would receive resources, and that would be used for his honor and for his glory. So I, I'm entitling this series, Money Matters. Is a syndicated radio show entitled Money Matters. And I've entitled it Money Matters because money matters. <clears throat> it matters to you, doesn't it? How many of you here would like just a little more money? Okay, all right. And you might be here and say, you know what? Money doesn't matter to me. <clears throat> well, that's okay, but I'm here to tell you that money matters to God. Money matters a lot to God. He has written so much about money as I looked at this study in three weeks, I'm going to be covering about three or four passages each Sunday, and I'm just going to scratch the surface in terms of what God has to say about money and resources. I'm going to tell you on the front side, this is going to be extremely radical. Okay? It's going to be... So if you don't want to hear something radical, don't come. The next couple Sundays... This is very radical. It is very countercultural, extremely countercultural. And uh, you'll see that as we walk through this. So here it is. I'm going to kind of one major truth each Sunday. And here it is. Here is one of the most radical, life changing, transformational truths you can ever believe. And this is it God owns it all. They say, I know that. I know we know that, but I'm, I'm talking about believing that. I'm talking about living that way. That everything you have, God owns. Now, where do we get that? Just a few general verses. Exodus 19.5, all the earth is mine. Deuteronomy 10.14, Behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven, the highest heavens, and the earth, and all that's in it. Job 41, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's 
and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. By the way, when our country was founded, some of you know this, I've said this before, property taxes were illegal because our founding fathers believed in Psalm 24.1 that the earth belongs to God and you don't tax God. We've moved a long ways, haven't we? We know who owns property today, at least in the minds of people. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You don't own yourself. You know, we hear this line, this is my body, I can do what I want. Where does that come from? That is so contradictory to the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 7.23, you were bought with a price. 1 Timothy 6.7, we have brought nothing into the world, and so we can take nothing out of it either. Why can't we? Because it's not ours. We can try and take it out, but we will not be able to. I've told the story of the guy who died. He told his wife she wanted him to put everything, all of his cash in the coffin, which... When the coffin was closed, one of her friends sat down and said, so did you, you put all the money in there? She said, I did, every penny of it. She said, how could you do that? She said, I, I wrote him a check. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't take it with you. You don't take it with you. It all stays here, and you know why it stays here? It's because you don't own it. God owns it all. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to first look uh, at the Old Testament, then the New, and then I'll give you some very practical things to think about. I'd like to look at the life of David. We have, we have a wonderful example of David getting this truth, and then we have a wonderful, not a wonderful, we have an example of, of David not getting this truth. So first let's look at the, the, let's look at the positive one. First, chronic, or first Chronicles 29. First Chronicles 29. Let me set the stage. They're building the, the temple, which is a, was, was to honor God. It represented the place of God's presence, his worship. And so David is the first one as the leader to bring his gifts that he's going to give for the building of the temple. And so he brings these gifts, and they're just, they're, they're mind-boggling. Uh, 110 tons, 2,000 pounds in a ton now. 110 tons of gold. Today's currency, about $4 billion worth. 260 tons, over double that, of silver. And, and then to that, the people add 190 tons of gold, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. And they bring all this for the building. I mean, it looks like, you know, when you drive by the mill down here and you see all that wood, just, you ever, does, that ever have you, does that ever hit you as a massive amount of wood? Just imagine all gold and silver, dump truck load after dump truck load. It's all there. So I want you to envision that. Because it's all brought in, it's all there. The people gather together, and here's the prayer that David pray, prays, and it, it's so... Such a great example of understanding this truth that God owns it all. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. 
Yours, our Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength, power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have only given you what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple in your holy name, it comes from your hand, and it all belongs to you. What a what a great example of what it means to live like and understand that God owns it all. It wasn't always like that for David, though. I, I think he learned this lesson the very, very, very hard way. We need only back up just a few chapters in the book of Chronicles, back to chapter 21. Listen to these words. Now Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan, and then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, May the, more, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? The king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel and then came back to Jerusalem. And Joab reported the number of fighting men to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle the sword, including 470,000 in Judah. And Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the sight of God. So he punished Israel. And then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. 70,000 people died. Imagine it. 70,000 people died because of the sin of David. However, it was not just the sin of David. You know, whenever there are accounts in the Bible, it's, it's always good to read all of them because you sometimes get a little bit different perspective you know, sometimes when God does things or does punishment, he doesn't tell us the whole story. You might read this and say, why did 70,000 Israelites die for David's sin? Well, we see that if you were to look at 2 Samuel, chapter 24, we have the exact same story. Listen to what it says. And again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. 
And so he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. This is God's punishment against Israel and against David because evidently their attitudes were all one and the same. They had begun to forget that God owns it all, that where they were at that point in time with what they have was all about God. And so David says, I'd like to see what I have accomplished. I'd like you to go out and count all these men so I can sit down and feel good about what I have, so I can feel secure in what I have and in what I have done. You know, Satan is comes to David and tempts him, and this was nothing new. He used the same temptation that he fell from. Satan fell because he wanted glory for himself instead of for God. And so we see here that this is a very, very difficult lesson, but I think one that he earned, and the lesson is that God owns it all. God owns it all. We start thinking that I have achieved this home and this car and this position and everything I have. Then we start to fall into this thinking. God owns it all. It all comes from him, from our next breath to our next paycheck. It all comes from him. Well, if we move into the New Testament, we're going to be looking over the next couple of weeks at a number of stories that Jesus told. He told a lot of stories that illustrate these issues of, of how he views money and things that he gives to us. We're, we're going to be looking at that. Luke 12. Let me just mention one here. Jesus has been talking, and he's starting to uh, paint us a picture that's very important to understand that life is like a master who goes away to a distant country and entrusts what he has to his servants, but he, he's coming back, and he's going to call his servants into accountability. Jesus tells several stories like that that begin to help us understand a perspective on how to look at life and what we have. And so in this story, he says, you know, it's for servants that are understanding that their masters are coming back and living that way, that, that's a very important thing. And so in Luke Chapter 12, we see in, in verse 41, Peter asks, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Then the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise? And I want you to make a note of this word. This is a word that needs to become a part of our everyday thinking. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? I'm going to suggest to you and begin suggesting this, that you are a manager. And we need to think of ourselves as managers. And we need to be faithful managers, and we need to be wise managers. This is a concept that, that Jesus is going to repeat over and over, and we will see it again in the coming weeks. Who then is the wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. So, so God has given us charge to, to manage his resources in a certain way, and it behooves us to find out what that looks like. And maybe, maybe that's not driving a Lamborghini. Maybe God has different soul, 
different goals for his resources that he has invested us with. He gives us a hint here when he says, in charge, who's taking care of those he has put under his care, caring for them at the proper time. We'll look at that more in a couple weeks. In Matthew 25, we see another story. This is a familiar one. You've probably heard it. It's about the story of the talents. So the Master's going away, so he gives somebody five or ten talents, another five talents, another three talents, and he, he gives different amounts of resources. We, we see that in our life, that we all have different amounts that God has entrusted us with. And then he goes away, and he will come back, and he will sit down with each of us that he's entrusted, and he will say, so what did you do with the resources that I entrusted you with? because we are managers of the one who owns it all. And for those that have invested wisely and gotten returns that are pleasing to the master, there will be even more reward, and he will put in charge of more, and he will give more resources to. To the ones who hoard it, who refuse to use it, who refuse to accomplish greater purposes, we find that there is severe uh, words from the master to this person. Now, I think the truth here is pretty obvious, that we are given resources to manage in a way that's fruitful and in line with our master's eyes. And there's no hint here that, that these things, this sense of this is mine and I can do with it what I want. We are managing someone's resources. So, the truth is this, that God owns it all. <clears throat> God owns it all. Everything in the earth, everything above the earth, everything that he gives us, he owns it all. Now, I'm not interested in just preaching through three interesting messages on giving. I, I would like to see this, these be messages that are life-changing, uh, and if, if you grasp these concepts, if you grasp these truths, they will change your life. Money matters. Money really matters to God. In fact, when Jesus said, you know what? You can't serve two masters. Now, if you hadn't, some of you know the verse I'm talking about. You know how you fill in the blank. But if, if God said, you can't serve me and you can't serve, you know, how would you fill in the blank? Jesus filled it in this way. He said, you can't serve me and you can't serve money. The word he used is mammon. You can't serve me and stuff, is what he was saying. And that, he identifies money as one of the great uh, focuses of idolatry in our lives. And by the way, it doesn't matter how much money you have. That's not the issue. You can have a lot of money and, and have an appropriate attitude. You can have n almost no money and, and have the wrong attitude. The issue is, how do we view wherever we are in life, whether we're the guy with 10 talents or five talents or three talents, how do we view what God has given to us? I'd like to just share some implications here <clears throat> in these next 10 minutes. I'm going to give you really three things, a fourth thing, I'm going to give you four things, but three things to think about. 
And I, I would challenge you over these next three weeks, you know, when you have some time to just sit down and be quiet, to take some time and think about these things and pray about them and to say, what kind of implication does this have for my life and for what God has given me? Three implications here, and then just a final thought of the fact, if, if God owns it all. And by the way, I just want to say this up front. Giving doesn't start by giving. Giving starts by receiving. We all come to God, and the Bible teaches very clearly, we don't buy our way into the kingdom. We enter the kingdom through God's grace. And so it is all begins by opening our lives up to what God is giving to us and then let everything that comes from him to meet our needs, to enjoy what God has given us, to share with us, to, to allow all that to flow out of what God has given to us. So having said that, here's three things. <clears throat> Number one, you need to plan what you spend. You need to plan what you spend. You need to track and plan what you spend. Now, if it's your money, you can do what you want with it. There are people that say, you know what? I'm just not into that budget stuff. I'm not into thinking about, you know, I just, I just kind of go with the flow. I mean, if, if, I, if I need something and I have the money, I buy it. Or if I need something and I don't have the money, I still might buy it, right? We have these little cards in our pockets. Plan you're spending. We have a quarterly meeting in a couple of weeks. We have, we have ministry teams in the church. Uh, they are given, they are given, you know, we take offerings. We took an offering this morning. We have goals, things we want to accomplish in the church, priorities based on the word of God, things we want to accomplish. Our ministry teams are required to set goals in line with those goals because we believe those are God's priorities. And so then they come with a budget and they say, these are the monies we're asking for so we can spend it in this way to accomplish these goals. What would happen if we came to the quarterly meeting and adult ministry said, we decided not to do a budget this year. We're just going to spend what we feel like. We don't know how we're going to spend it or exactly what we're going to spend it on, but we're just going to kind of, we're just going to kind of go with the flow. Well, that wouldn't fly very well. And in terms of thinking of the implication that what I have is money that I'm managing for someone else, it makes sense that I would take the time to think about how I am spending that money and look at where we're spending that money. Vicki and I, when we first got married, we went to a Burkett Seminar, Larry Burkett Seminar. They challenged us with tracking, planning your spending, keeping a budget. Uh, so we, we started to do that. In 37 years, we have never, we have never had an argument about money. Because each year we sit down and we plan where it's going. All the decisions are made pretty much for the year because we sit down and think through it and plan it together. So I would challenge you, number one, if you don't plan how you spend, if you don't track how you spend, I challenge you to do that. How do you do that? Between now and Christmas, everything you buy, you just you write a little receipt. If you pay cash, you still write a little piece. Whatever you just write it down, throw it in a paper bag. And sometime during uh, after New Year's, 
uh, when you're sitting around on New Year's Day uh, watching football, pull it out and figure out, just write everything down and go, oh, okay, we spent this much on food and we spent this much on clothes and we ate out this much. And, and, and you may look at that and then evaluate it. You say, well, we spent, uh, you know, we spent $200 uh, eating out each month. That's, that's quite a bit of, of eating out. You know, maybe, maybe we need to spend, <clears throat> you know, for 35 bucks a month, we could, we could give food and education and clothing to a child that doesn't have any of that. Maybe we could cut that down to 150 bucks a month, and maybe that would be a better way to invest our money. And you, begin to, you begin to pray through and ask, ask, begin to ask the question, how does God want me to spend what he's given me? And then you plan. You write it down and you discipline yourself and you, you do that. So at the end of the year, you can say, hey, I, I think we invested what the master gave us in a wise way that's going to bear fruit. Here's the second one. If God is owner of everything, then in honor of him and in response to that, we need to give to him first. I'll promise you, if you say, you know what, I'd like to give to, to, uh, to the work of God, and if there's any money left, you know, things are really tight, if there's any money left at the end of the month, I'll do that. <clears throat> I'll do that. I can promise you most months there won't be anything left at the end of the month. And so giving first says that God has given me everything I have, you know what David realized? David realized that he was really like the child. Uh, some of you remember this. When you're a kid, your parents give you 50 bucks. They say, here, why don't you use this? We'll take you out, and you can buy presents for me. You ever do that? Yeah. You give the kids the money to buy presents for you. That's how it is. David understood that's how it is with us. That, you know, we give back to him. We're just, he, we're just giving money that he just put in our hand. And so we see here that giving first is a way that we honor God. I challenge people. I don't believe it's a law, but I believe it's a powerful, powerful principle. In the Old Testament, it was a law. You give God 10% right off the top, just in honor of him, uh, acknowledging that he is the one that owns it all, and he is the one that gives it all. God says, you do this, you test me in this, I will, I will provide everything you need. You look at your budget, you'll say there's not 10% in there. God says, you give it to me, it will be there. All your needs will be met. And not only that, you'll get the reward of watching me do miraculous things to provide for you in your life. I've done this since I was five years old. I was fortunate to grow up in a home where I was taught this. And I, I could tell you story after story after story of God's provision over the years in, in just miraculous ways. And so, giving first. I grew up thinking 10% belonged to God, and then, you know, the other 90% was for me to spend. Uh, it took me a long time to realize that that's really not biblical, that I give 10% to God, and I manage the 90%. 100% belongs to him. And so we see here that giving first is a way that we respond to this truth that God owns it all. Here's number three. 
manage the rest. Manage the rest. Uh, get this into your head that it all belongs to him. Okay, not just what I might put in the offering plate, but what I keep. It's all, it's all what I'm managing. Now, does God want you to eat? Sure, he wants you to spend resources he gives you on food. Does he want you to have a car? Probably. If you're in a heavily urbanized area, you might not need a car, but most of us need a car. He wants you to have a car. Um, does he want you to have a roof over your head? Sure. He wants you to have clothes to wear? Sure. And so the question is, how much does he want me to spend on the roof? How much does he want me to spend on the car? How much does he want me to spend on food? How much does he want me to spend on clothes? You know what the answer to that question is? I can't tell you the answer to that question. You have to go to God and say, before God, and find out what the answer to that question is. But the reason you do that is because you understand on the front side that God owns it all, that you're managing his resources. Otherwise, he really has nothing to do with it. But if he does, you invite him into that decision. You make a thoughtful, prayerful decision based on what God has blessed you with, and that will vary from person to person. Manage the rest. God wants to provide your needs, and then after your needs, he wants to give you something to enjoy in life. Things that you don't need, he gives those gifts to us. And then he wants to use the rest to help others who may be less fortunate, others who are in greater need. You know, God wants to invest his money, and, and some of this is unavoidable, I realize, but by and large, think about this. God would like to invest the resources that he's given me to manage, he would like me <clears throat> to invest as much of that as I can in things that won't end up in the junkyard. Right? Does that make sense? That God would want me to invest in things that don't end up down at Jaeger's or Cosmos. Now, some of that is inevitable. Every car that I've driven ends up in the junkyard. All the clothes end up somewhere else, either getting thrown away, everything wears out, that is inevitable. But God would like to invest as much as he can. He'd like to see that money invested in things that will last, not just for, her, not just for his sake, but for our sake as well. He doesn't like to see us wasting his money. He gave it to us. God blesses us with money so that we can be rich towards God in good works, so that we can lay up treasures in heaven, so we can have things that we eternally enjoy. And so God is saying, don't, don't spend it all on stuff that's just going to end up in the junkyard. Spend it on stuff that you can really enjoy, that you can really feel good about, that not only in this life, but in the life to come. We're going to see that truth. Jesus is going to bring that truth up again and again and again. He doesn't want you to be poor. He wants you to be rich. You just have to understand what that looks like and how resources can accomplish that. And we will talk 
more about that. <clears throat> you know, this week I was looking for my medical card in my billfold, and I pulled out a check for $100 that I'd gotten like four months ago, and I forgot to cash it. And I looked at that check. What do you think was the first thing that went through my mind? Wow, a hundred bucks. What could I buy with a hundred bucks? I had about five things that, very quickly, I had about five things that popped into my mind. Unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm right in the middle of this sermon. <laughs> and I had to ask the question, God, this is, this is your money. I, I, did, I wasn't planning on this. I don't need this. Um, and I had about three or four things that came into my mind. And you know what? None of those are on my first list. The mindset that made that first lift, we can live, list, we can live our whole lives there. Or we can live it in the second list where we say, God, what do you want to do? What, what would be the wise way to invest your money. And you know what? There's no loss in that. There's only gain when we understand and live out this truth that, that, that God owns it all. Here's the last thing. I just mentioned this in conclusion. If God owns it all, and he's your father, and you're his child, think about that. Your dad, your heavenly father, owns it all, everything. And he's good and he's generous. Then you will never be lacking what you need. I look back on my life, I have never been lacking what I need. Now, I have been lacking what I want. There's been plenty of those times where and, and I, we can easily turn our, need, our, 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 our wants into needs, can't we? Oh, God, I, I need this. No, we don't need this. We want it. We will never be lacking because our Father owns it all. Here's a truth to take away with you this morning. And I, I challenge you to take time and, and ponder these truths this week. Philippians 4, 19. And uh, <clears throat> these are the words. My God will supply all your needs. And you know how he'll do that? According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's a promise that God has given to us today. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, over these next three weeks, as we ponder how how you would like us to view the resources that come into our lives. Father, by your Spirit, teach us and give us insight and, and open our eyes that we might enter into the joy and the freedom of being managers of, of the resources that you have given us. And uh, Father, I, I just believe that you have such good things in store for us. Uh, through these lessons you're teaching us. Uh, Father, we thank you for this promise that we take from here that, that you will supply all, 
all of our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. We thank you and praise you. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.